I'm going to ask you if you have your copy of the scripture to turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, we're looking at uh, all of this chapter uh, this week in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 to 13. Now I know that today is uh, Easter Sunday morning and isn't it great to, to sing out uh, praise and honor and glory to our risen Savior Jesus Christ. I've heard some beautiful singing this morning and uh, yeah, it's, it's just been great to hear that, uh, that um, with, with great power, people praising and worshiping Jesus this morning as our risen Lord and Savior. Some of you were at the sunrise service um, and uh, up before the break of the day, uh, day and uh, you saw as uh, the sun started to rise and many of you may have been like me and you uh, were reminded of just around uh, the break of day when the women went to the tomb of Jesus to anoint his body as was their custom uh, they found an empty tomb because God miraculously, miraculously raised Jesus from the dead. And we are here to celebrate that resurrection and, and all that it means for us. And it was great to see uh, the sun rising over the ocean uh, behind us as we are worshiping and praising our risen Savior together as a church. It was great to see churches from all around our coast gathered together to worship our risen Savior. And it was nice that... Uh, God just gave us some, some beautiful weather, a beautiful clear uh, sky to see the beautiful sunrise and to honor God even through, uh, it's amazing how much he speaks through, through nature and uh, the beauty in that. You see his power and his authority and you know that he is, he is risen and he's with us. Now, it's, uh, it's great this morning, I think uh, for me as a pastor, I think this is great to have uh, some good upbeat songs to celebrating and worshiping Christ, although uh, this year we're not doing any of the kind of traditional um, Easter songs. It's still great to sing with great vigor uh, what Christ has done for us on the cross and uh, that he lives and is coming again for us. We have a lot to, to worship, a lot to celebrate as a church. Now, this morning you may have come to church expecting uh, to hear a message from maybe Mark chapter 16 when the ladies first uh, found out that Jesus had risen from the grave and they found an angel in the tomb, but Jesus had risen and he said, I know who you're looking for. It's Jesus, but he's not here. He's risen. Uh, he's no longer here. Or maybe you expected to hear something like a traditional message from, from Matthew chapter 28, which describes a huge earthquake that shook the ground as an angel rolled the stone away that was blocking the entrance to the tomb of Jesus where God had raised him from the dead. Or maybe from the Gospel of Luke, when uh, two angels uh, were standing in the tomb, or outside the tomb, and they uh, challenged the women who'd come up to anoint Jesus' body, and they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen, just as he said that he would do. Or maybe even in John chapter 20, in which there's a, a unique story about Jesus first appearing to Mary Magdalene, when Jesus was still in his, his spirit form, and he challenges Mary and says, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended, into, uh, ascended to my Father. And yet he, he comforted her and he showed her great mercy and love and assurance that he is our risen Lord. It's beautiful because if you know much about uh, the Gospels, there are several stories that are very familiar, uh, especially in 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They call those the synoptic gospels, which are similar gospels because they tell a lot of the same stories in, in slightly different ways. John often tells a lot of unique stories that are only found in John, but the resurrection is one of those that all four gospels wanted to make sure that they told the story uh, that we serve a resurrected Savior in Jesus Christ. But we're going to pick a, a different passage this morning and have a look at Hebrews chapter 8, and I think you'll start to see why in a few moments because we're talking about a covenant of grace that we have because of Jesus and all that he has done for us. And so uh, I want to challenge you to look with me in, in Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 13. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. It says this. Now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it was necessary that this one also had something to offer. If he were here on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God had found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the old covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the old one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Let us pray. God, I just thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. And Lord, I pray that you use it now. May your spirit guide us and, and challenge our hearts Draw us ever closer to you, Lord, as we recognize what you have done for us on the cross and, and what having you as our risen Savior means for us as a church, the covenant of grace that you have offered to all of us, the promise and the security of eternal life with you. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Teach us your ways, Lord, as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So those of you who have been around for a, a number of weeks know that we've been working our way through uh, the book of Hebrews, talking about Christ as overall. And we talked about the majesty and the glory and the power of God and how He has used all of that through Christ Jesus to bring about our redemption, our salvation, and hope in us. So we're going to continue that in Hebrews chapter 8 to talk about this covenant which comes in because of Jesus. And we first want to recognize that uh, the ministry of Jesus is greater than any sort of priest. Now we, we've come to recognize the church that the, the priestly system that they had set up was, was a, a flawed 
system at best because priests in themselves were, were humans and so they were sinful people by nature. And, uh, and so they had to offer sacrifices for themselves first and then uh, for the people. And this was a constant process because any sacrifice that they would offer, no matter how pure the lamb or the bull, it was never enough to, to completely cleanse the sins, but they had to do this uh, over and over and over again. Verses 1 to 2 says, We have a high priest who is greater than any of that. And we talked last week how Jesus is the perfect one who represents us before God. This is God in flesh, God himself who has come. He's walked and talked as a man. He knows the struggles. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, yet without sin, pure and spotless, and stands before God to represent us. But not only that, but he, rather than offering a lamb or a goat or a bull as a sacrifice, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. God in flesh uh, sacrificed for our sins that once and for all, covered the payment for all our sin. The Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God and the payment for that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He has offered himself as that sacrifice and paid the price for us. It says he's also greater than any other high priest because he doesn't just serve in a, a tabernacle or a temple that were made, was made by, by human hands, but Jesus serves in heaven, not in a temporary temple, but in, uh, in heaven which is designed and created by Almighty God. Verses 3 and 5. Verses 3 and 5 talks about uh, the, the flaws or the faults, I guess, with that uh, Levitical system from the Old Testament. They had uh, all the, the priests had to come from, from the bloodline of, of Aaron who was from the tribe of Levi. All the priests were from this tribe and uh, they, they followed these practices of sacrifice and service and they were priests because the, the bloodline said they need to be a priest and they followed in that way and they followed all the rules and the laws and the regulations but it never and could never bring salvation to the people it could never bring any hope because it was a constant process of of um of just sin and and forgiveness and, and healing and then sin again it was a constant process of needing to uh, sacrifice again and again. And uh, these lambs and bulls and stuff are only a temporary answer to a constant problem of sin. They worshipped in what was a mere replica of heaven, in, in, in a, what was a mere replica of God's presence, and they offered sacrifices that were a mere replica of what was really needed, and that was Christ Jesus himself, God in flesh, offering himself as that perfect sacrifice. So Jesus is superior to all of that, verse 6 says. He is more powerful and, and more important than any of that because he has brought to us a new covenant, a covenant of grace. And verses 7 to 9 talks about that a covenant of grace is superior to a covenant of the law. Now what, is, what does that talk about? What does that mean? We see the people, the Hebrew people that this book is written to were so, the law was so important to them. And this priestly system that had been set up from the Old Testament was so important because if they just followed these laws, if they just followed these regulations, their sins would be forgiven and they were fine. And we mentioned before, that's why the priests were so important to them because according to their laws, according to their regulations, according to their church tradition, there could be no forgiveness of sins without a sacrifice and only the priests could offer the sacrifice. And so they honored the priests and they cared for the priests. They looked after the priests. Otherwise, they could never be forgiven of their sins according uh, to this sort of system. 
the Hebrew people had a long history of covenants with God. There was a covenant with, with Abraham who said he's going to make him a father of many nations and uh, he will be the God as long as, uh, and, and they will be his people. There was a covenant with, with Moses and a covenant with David. And each of these times, God promised to, to be there for the people of Israel, the, the Hebrew people, and that he will protect them and care for them. And they have a mission. They are called as the people of Israel to share the hope that we have in God with all the other nations, with all the people. For God's design wasn't only so that the Hebrew people could come to know him, but so that the world could be touched with his grace and his mercy. He wanted everyone to know, but the Hebrew people kept him to themselves and they often didn't share him with their neighbors, didn't share him with people in the community or society. They often had conflicts with others and were so unfaithful to God. There's something throughout the book of Deuteronomy. There, there's a, a cycle which you see in which the people are, are living faithfully. They call it the Deuteronomic cycle. That sounds important, doesn't it? You can just practice saying that. Uh, the Deuteronomic cycle is where the, uh, the people sin, and then they, they get in a mess and their life has kind of uh, gone, uh, you know, gone to pot, gone to filth and uh, it's just a mess. And then they call out to God. God hears them. He comes and He forgives them. He picks them back up. He puts them back on the right path. All of a sudden their life is filled with blessing and glory and they turn away from God and start back into sin. And they just repeat this cycle over and over and over all throughout uh, the early history of the world and all throughout really the world ever since. God was forever faithful to his covenant, but the people uh, were, were rarely faithful to him. They continued to try to follow religious practices and often put the law and this religious practice before a relationship with God himself. And it had become in their Hebrew tradition where rather than following God, they were following their laws or their traditions. And the people tried to live up to the, the law and at times were so caught into the, the letter of the law and trying to follow this, that they had forgot who God is. They forgot about His power. They forgot about His majesty. They forgot about His authority. They forgot that He could be trusted. They forgot who God is. They followed those religious practices and those laws which God had set up, but they forgot to follow God Himself. In a sense, they kind of had those phrases in there among the people that says, Oh, this is how we've always done things. And we, unfortunately, as a church, are not too unlike that even today. We can get so caught up in the, the way we, we like to see things done and, and the traditions of, of our churches that we can lose focus on who God is. And believe it or not, Christians can actually serve God so, for so many years and, and be faithful to the kind of traditions of the church and actually lose sense of who God is. We serve a powerful God. We serve a God who raised Jesus from the dead. We serve a God who conquered death, hell, and the grave, who created all of the universe, and who loves us and is faithful to us no matter what. We serve a great, a powerful, a merciful God. We need to recognize as a church who He is. And so God saw, verse 7 to 9 says, God saw faults in that old system or that old covenant uh, or the Old Testament, uh, as we'd say, and he formed this new covenant in Christ Jesus who would show them how to live and love and shows them who, who God is and then offers himself as a sacrifice for the sins of all who will trust in him. Offers freedom and life for any who will trust in him. Not because they've upheld the letter of the law, 
not because they're righteous or, or worthy in any way, but because He's full of compassion and abounding in love. I don't know about you, but Easter is a time when, when I'm just forced to think about how much God loves me. And, and it's, it's, it's hard for me to believe because God loves me so much more than anyone else. More than Lindy loves me, more than my kids love me, more than I love me, more than you love me. That's a lot. Yeah, I know. But I'm amazed because I know that God knows me completely. I know that He knows everything. He knows every thought. And whether you want to admit it today or not, you've all had wrong thoughts. You've all had, maybe you saw someone coming, you go, oh, not, not that person. Yeah, You didn't say it, did you? When they open the door, you go, oh, hey, how are you? How you going? But when you saw them coming across the parking lot, you're like, not today, God, please. Yeah. We've all had these different times, haven't we? Not about any of you, of course. I would never think. But we, we all think different things sometimes. We all do things sometimes which are not honoring to God. And the reality of it all is God loves us so much in that while He knows we are sinners, while He saw us in that sin, the thing that, that disgusts Him the most, the thing that disappoints Him the most, our darkest moments, God knows those. And He still loves us so much to give His own Son on the cross for us. That is love. That is grace. We see the powerful God who not only offered His Son as a payment once and for all. There was no more need for this Levitical system. There's no more need for all these constant sacrifices to try to forgive the sins and to try to appease the law. Christ paid all of that. God Himself was sacrificed on the cross as a payment for our sin, our scum, our wrong. He loved us so much that He paid that for us. He is powerful enough and, and strong enough that He once and for all could pay the price for all sin of all mankind. And then He rises from the, from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave and offers to us a gift of eternal life. This new covenant is not a covenant of law. It's not about following the traditions of the church. It's not about following a bit of regulations. It is a law of grace, a covenant of grace, which is far, far superior and says, this new covenant, this new covenant is far superior. Jesus is far more superior than any of those priests, but this new covenant is far more superior because it brings to us life. It brings to us eternal life and gives us access to God Himself. And so verses 10 to 13 says that this new covenant of grace brings us, it brings us to God. This new covenant is established by God. This is His plan uh, from, since the, the fall of man to bring us back into fellowship with, it, with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. It was His plan for us all along. Uh, it was His plan for Jesus all along. He sent His Son into the world. John three seventeen says, God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, although we deserve that, but so that the world through Him, through Jesus, might be saved. He's come to offer us life and hope. Jesus said, a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that people might have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly. The, the second part of, of uh, verses, uh, verse 10 to verse 12 talks about our relationship with God. It says, we no longer have to, to go to a priest to offer Sacrifice, or to ask forgiveness for our sins, and then the priest has to go and offer sacrifices for those sins. We no longer have to confess to the priest, and then he confesses to God. 
We have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. This new covenant of grace offers us a relationship with the creator of the universe. It doesn't get more powerful than that. This is, this is mind-blowing stuff because we can walk and talk with God, the creator of the universe, the one who appoints kings, the one who takes kings down, the one who rises up nations and causes nations to fall, the one who created the beautiful sunrise and the gorgeous sunset, the one who leads us even in the darkest of times, the one who even death is not the end for. The one who is more powerful than any king, the one who is more powerful than any nation. We live in a political time of great uncertainty. And there are a lot of people who say a lot of negative things about leaders all around the world. When we as a church are called to pray for those leaders around the world. We as a church are called to stand for God and to stand behind our leaders, praying for them, supporting them, praying God's guidance and, leader, and, and leadership in them. But there are a lot, of people, a lot of talk about the fear that certain leaders around the world have their, their finger on sort of the, the nuclear button. And that we're in a time of great uncertainty. One thing I am certain of is that we are not in the hands of any leader, any political leader. We're not in the hands of any government leader. We're not in the hands of any world power leader. We are in the hands of Almighty God. And I know for one thing, for certainty in God's Word, I'll not live one minute longer or one minute less than God has ordained me to live. He has it all planned out. He has my life planned out, and I can trust completely in Him. And what we need to, what we're challenged to do is trust in Him. This God who created all the God who is more powerful than any of these world powers that we hear about every day, a God who is more powerful than any kingdom that's ever lived, we can walk with and we can talk with, we can have a relationship with Him. So I love these verses uh, in the closing part of this chapter. It says, no longer are we going to have to worry about a time in which we say, oh, look, know the Lord and learn about Him. But what it's talking about is the, the priestly system. The people had to go to the priest to learn about God. And whatever they told the people about God, that's all, all they knew. They didn't have the Scriptures to read for themselves. They didn't have a relationship with God. It was only blessed on the, on the priest. If they wanted forgiveness for sins, they had to go to the priest. If they wanted to know what God would do to handle a situation, how should I live to honor God, they would go to the priest. It says no longer do you have to do that. Because this covenant of grace, which is given to us by this risen Savior, Jesus Christ, offers to us a relationship with God Himself. He says, God's Word is going to be in their hearts. It's going to be in their minds. It's going to be in their hearts. We have God's Word with us every day that His Holy Spirit leads us and guides us with and teaches us who He is and, and how He would handle situations and how we can honor God with our lives. He leads us and directs us through His living Word as God reveals Himself through His Holy Spirit says no longer are you going to have to say, hey, know the Lord, as in the priests are going to have to say, you need to know God and you need to follow Him because everyone will have access to God. Everyone will know uh, of God and you can have a direct relationship with Him to walk with Him and talk with Him. One of my favorite hymns when I was growing up was uh, In the Garden. And many of you may remember that, but I'm not going to 
I'm going to spare you not sing anything, but uh, one of, the, of my favorite lines there is, and he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. Isn't that great? He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He, he's always there to have that relationship with us, the God of all the universe, the God who can and does know what's going to happen, the God who can make a difference. When we seem so powerless and, and we feel so weak and empty, when we feel like we can't make a, a, an impact in our community, when we feel like we can't save our marriage and we don't know what to do with our family, we can talk to the one who can. We can talk to the one who can heal. We can talk to the one who can restore. We can talk to the one who has all power and all authority. That's the great thing about this covenant of grace, which is saying we serve a risen Savior who's with us to lead us and to guide us. So the priests no longer have to say, hey, come learn from me, or you don't have to say, hey, come learn from this great teacher or, or preacher, because everyone now has access to God directly. Because of Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus has eradicated that, that the bond of sin. He has done away with it all, the sin that separates us from God and made a way so that we can be justified by His grace, which means just as if we'd never sinned, cleansed and purified by God. Verse 13 says, we're no longer held back by his sin, no longer controlled by the laws and regulations. Those old things are done away with. We are now governed by grace. We don't have to try to do more right than wrong. I have a lot of uh, Muslim friends from, uh, from Blacktown and from Sydney. And one of the most challenging things about Islam to, to them, this is to, to kind of peaceful uh, Muslims, one of the most challenging things in their life is they have to hope that by the end of their life they've done more good in their life than bad. And they never know if they have until after they've died. And then they believe that they stand before Allah and He puts their life on a scale. And if they have, if they have made, done more good than bad, if they've been a better person more often than they've been a rat bag, then they'll get into paradise. And if not... Is eternal damnation. And they live their life doing good deeds. And they live their life giving to charity. And they give far more of their income than most of us. But they do it out of fear. And they do it because they, they just hope that someday they, they will be told by Allah that they've done more good than bad. Do you know what the Bible says about that? It says we can never do more good. We can never do enough good to win our salvation because our lives are full of sin and corruption. The Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags compared to His glory and His righteousness. There's nothing we could do that's going to win God's favor that way. We deserve death, but there is hope. But the hope is not in what we've done. The hope is what Christ Jesus has already done for us on the cross. He's already paid that price for us. He's already won our salvation. All we have to do is claim it. All we have to do is accept it. We mentioned before the wages of sin, the payment of sin that we deserve is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We have hope and we have security and we have assurance, not because of what we've done, but because Jesus is our Savior, because He is our Lord. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today and He walks with us and He talks with us along the narrow way. We have access to God, Jesus, God through Christ Jesus. We would never be enough. But Jesus paid it all. And so we can have grace and life and hope 
and freedom. Today we celebrate that covenant of grace. We, we celebrate what is offered to us because Christ is our Savior, because Christ is our Lord, because He is our risen King. God's everlasting promise is that anyone who believes in Jesus as Lord has eternal life with Him. Jesus paid the price for our sins. All we have to do is surrender our life to Him and accept this gift, and it's ours. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. We have much to celebrate as a church, don't we? Because we, the world is longing for peace. We have peace. The, long, the world is longing for security. We have security. The long, world is longing for direction. We know where we're going. The world is longing for peace. We serve a God of peace. It says in Psalm, Be still and know that I'm God. Just stop and trust me. I want to pray that this Easter, as you go around your, your family celebrations and the barbecues and whatever else you have over the long weekend, and, and the great times of, of just celebrating with family and friends and relaxing, I want to challenge you, focus on the cross and focus on what Jesus has done for us. But not only His death and His burial, but His resurrection. That we serve a risen Lord who's with us and who has paid for us to have access directly to God. He has given to us eternal life, although we deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. He offers us life and hope and freedom. Not only to us, but to any who will trust in Him. There is hope for our community. There is hope for our marriages. There is hope for our families. There is hope for any of us because Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And challenge everyone. Challenge your family. Challenge your friends. Put your trust in Jesus. Show them with the way you live how Christ has changed you and set you free. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you and I praise you for the freedom we have in you, for the hope we have in you, for the security we have in you, for the eternal life we have in you because we serve a risen Savior. Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord, for the way you love us intently and immensely, so much so that you gave your own Son for us to die on the cross as a payment for our sins and our wrong so that we could have life and freedom instead of the punishment and death we deserve. Thank you, Lord, for the eternal security we have in you, for the hope. And, Lord, we pray that we celebrate the resurrection not only just this day, but every day in our lives. God, may we, may we carry you in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit speak through our lives that the world can see the difference you've made in us, in, in moving us from darkness to light, from death into life, for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for opportunity to celebrate you here today as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.